Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. All right, it is fantastic to be with you today. Man, um, I'm fired up. This is it's a monumental day here for us at Compass Church. It gets bittersweet because this is actually my, my last Sunday in my role as lead pastor here at Compass. And, and there's, there's so many great things happening here. Um, and yet it's, it's the bitter part is, is that I'm, I'm leaving and it's a, it's a bummer, you know. But, but this has been a fantastic morning so far. And I tell you, you know, we are gearing up for this, this season of transition in the life of this church where you are going to go on a journey of figuring out who the next lead pastor is going to be. And so we have our consultants in town this weekend, and we've been, they've been conducting meetings and focus groups and meeting with our leadership. And it was so cool because, you know, yesterday they said, you guys that did the survey, and thank you to those of you who did the survey. We had a great turnout of the numbers of people which we needed to get a good assessment numerically of the state of things. And they told us, and I'm not making this up, and they said it several times, that in the 10 years that they've been conducting these surveys and doing this research on churches in terms of their health, their unity, their energy, their overall satisfaction that people have with what's going on and the excitement, that we are the highest they've ever seen. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I think it's awesome. Some of you are sitting there like, oh, what does that say about the other churches, you know? But... <laughs> There's always like one negative guy. But anyway, um, but the point is, is that I have no doubt that as a church, and I hate to say it like your, because I'm going to be moving on to the role. Some of you are going, what are you doing? I'm moving on to a role of what's called district superintendent, which sounds like a really, you know, strange title. But basically, I'm going to have a regional role with our denomination, helping to, helping to strengthen church leadership, uh, help start new churches and help our churches, existing churches, reach all the people around them from an ethnic diversity standpoint. And so we're really trying to develop leaders, train new leaders, and, and get, keep the gospel moving forward. Just a different type of role that I'm going to be playing. But I have no doubt that this church, that our best days are ahead. That there will be a new building out on that property. I have no doubt that this facility is just, it's wonderful, but it's starting to get... It's starting to be inadequate for what is ahead. And I have no doubt that the new building that will be built on this vacant land that we own will someday house people who, and, and, and attract people where, and people inside will hear about the grace of Jesus Christ. Because right now there are people just getting up in our community, less than a mile away, a half mile away, a quarter of a mile away, who are just waking up, maybe a little hungover, Maybe a little broken from what happened last night. Maybe a little guilty from what happened five years ago. And they're getting up and they don't know what to do with the pain. They don't know what to do with the guilt. They don't know, they don't have a pathway forward. Because they haven't answered the question of who is God and who are they and how does this work. And so it's just a stumbling in darkness and and it's a terrible and tragic thing. And yet God has called this church to be a place where people hear about the grace of Jesus. And they're brought to a place of forgiveness. And so we have always been about helping people find their way to God. And because of this church, and because of what there is yet to be done here, 
There, the sorrow of many right now will turn to joy. Of that, I have no doubt. And so it makes sense that we should finish our series in the book of Titus, our Keep the Fire Burning series, by looking at Titus chapter 3. It's the final chapter in this little book. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there right now. But if I could leave you with one quality, one caption that would characterize the type of people who Compass Church will continue to build, the type of people that you should be known as, that you should be described as. What kind of person are you? If somebody could really succinctly articulate what kind of person that you are, I would hope that you would be known as a grace-filled, mission-driven optimist. A grace-filled mission-driven optimist, or I reduced it down to GMO. Now, that shouldn't be too hard to remember, right? GMO. Now, I know there are many people in here who do not like GMOs because, you know, it's not good or whatever, and they don't like eating it. Mostly, if you go to the fruit aisle, it's like they have the stickers that say non-GMO, you know, but GMO basically stands for genetically modified Organism. And that's basically what most of the fruit is that you get at the store. In fact, I brought some GMO fruit with me today. This is not, see, you can always tell the GMO from the organic because it's a, the GMO is a little bit bigger and the organic is smaller. It's already kind of like not very ripe and it's twice the price. So, but this is GMO. So I have some bananas here. They're lovely bananas. And this is a pomegranate. Pomegranates are really good. I would give this to you, but it's like, uh, it would hit you like a rock. So instead, I've got a couple of strawberries here. These are, look at, this is definitely a GMO. This is like a, like a strawberry on steroids, man. I don't know what they injected this thing with. But anyway, who wants this strawberry? Any takers on the strawberry? Anybody? Yeah, there we go. You ready? All right, here we go. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. It's my last Sunday here, so I'm not worried about getting fired. Is there anybody else that wants a strawberry? Any takers? Okay, here you go, man. You look like you could use a strawberry. Oh, that was, you got snagged. Wow, that's terrible. It's, it's 10 second rule. Don't worry about it. Um, but in any case, but the analogy works well. Because in a sense, when you become a Christian, you get genetically modified. God rewires you. Because we're all born with the virus of sin. But when we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we have the freedom to live as we've been made to live. And so we can live a life that is amplified. We can live a life that is beyond anything that we could have before without the Holy Spirit living in us. So there is kind of a genetic modification that happens with us, but I want you to think about it. So don't be offended by if me referring to you as GMO. Just think grace-filled, mission-driven optimist. That really comes down to what we should be and characterize who this church uniquely has produced and what characterizes the people that come here. Even if you're naturally a pessimist, by the way. And I know you pessimists are like, well, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist, right? Because life is hard and it's bad and I'm a realist. Okay, fine, whatever. The point is, you could be a pessimist and still be an optimist. In fact, you should be an optimist and we will talk about why in a few minutes. So let's look at our passage and let's see if we can't pick out the reasons for us that we should be grace-filled, mission-driven optimists. So Paul is talking to Titus and he's telling Titus, tell these pastors of these churches in, on the island of Crete how these Christians are supposed to live. So he says this, remind them 
to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, I love this because we're getting into like the nitty-gritty of everyday Christian life, but it starts off by saying submissive to rulers and authorities. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is an example of grace-filled and mission-driven, and the logic goes like this. If I obey the laws of the land and I'm respectful to those in authority, I will gain credibility with the people in authority when it comes to the message that I bear, which is the gospel. And so it's not just merely about being a good citizen and being altruistic. And there's people that think, well, I just want to be a good citizen. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you should be a good citizen. But for us, there is another motive underneath that is as we really genuinely try to do what is right and to honor those, in this case, in authority, in whatever sphere that happens to be, who are in proper authority, we are opening the door for them to ask, what is it about you that drives you to live this way? So now, what does this look like for us? Well, you know, we live in 2019. We don't live in the Roman Empire anymore. Unfortunately for us, over these several thousands of years, there have been people who have come before us who have forged a better society than what they had. We can, we can assert ourselves now. We can use the courts and the ballot boxes to be able to preserve and maintain our freedoms. But specifically here at Compass Church, you know, one of the things that's characterized us corporately is that we've always wanted to be, you know, doing the best we can to follow the city ordinances and, and to not be a pain in regard to the city council. So when the people in leadership in our community hear about or think of Compass Church, they don't go, oh, those guys again. They're always pushing. They're always breaking the rules. They're always giving us a hard time. But we actually maintain our reputation in the community by doing the things that they ask us to do when it was involved with requirements or ordinances or whatever, even if it's kind of a pain once in a while. So we, we strive to not be at odds with people. So for example, I remember when I first came here 12 years ago, there was a story about when they were first building the building here and some 15 years ago or whatever when they were having the talks with the city and there was a guy on the city council and I don't know who he was and he's not still on the council anymore who said, what good is a church in a community anyway? Like why should we even have a church? And because he's probably thinking about the loss of tax revenue and this real estate is taken up by a church as opposed to some other kind of establishment. But we took the question seriously and said, well, that's a question that deserves to be answered. And so over the past 12 years, we've sought to prove that our church is the best friend that our city could have. And so we started Inside Out, where we on a regular basis over the years have shut the church down on a Sunday and gone out and do, done projects in the community, getting out with people and painting and cleaning up common areas and parks and, and rebuilding stuff. And, and we started a ministry called Code Busters, where the city came to us and said, can you guys send teams of people to clean up the yards that are blighted in our town so that we don't have to cite them and so it doesn't bring down the property values. And so as early as our last uh, Inside Out, I remember there was a, when we did that event, there was a huge group of people at, at, a, at a home nearby that spent hours 
you know, and a lot of work to be able to do tree trimming and stuff so this one person would not get cited by the city. And the city was happy. They don't like, we don't want to charge this person, but they're out of compliance and their place is kind of dangerous. And we were able to help in that regard. And so we've wanted to build these relationships and inroads. We just, we've also offered our church as a polling place on a regular basis so that our local residents wouldn't have to figure out where the polling place is or drive really far. It could be convenient for them. And we've had people use it. And it's, it's we just, because we want to say, hey, please come here. We want to be a partner with the community. We don't want to stand at odds with our town. We just had 4,000 people at our Halloween block party. We provided a safe and fun environment for our community to come with their kids and to feel like, man, we live in a great town. We can just come right across the street or right down the road and be a part of this great thing that our, that our city does, that our church is part of that. But even as we were planning that, we were careful to, you know, work with the authorities on the permits and the traffic and, and our neighbors and everything else because we want to be grace-filled and mission-driven so that when it comes to our message, none of our actions get in the way. And that should be the same thing with you. When you go to work and the people that are in authority over you, and I'm talking to you students too, with your teachers. And believe me, I was in high school, and it's like the funnest thing in the world to mess with your teacher, when you're in, especially in middle school. I used, to, I used to bring crickets to class in a little bag, and I'd let them out, you know, and they would bounce around, and everyone, the girls would freak out, and I shouldn't say the girls, both, you know, because that's mean. Um, girls and guys would equally get engaged with the crickets that I let out of the bag. <laughs> I used to bring water balloons and stuff. I mean, I was a menace and a terror to my teachers. So I, so I apologize to teachers everywhere for what I did to a small number of you years ago. But, but, so, but even if you're at that late, you, those teachers are an authority over you. So do your best to not make their lives miserable or they're going to go, man, he's a Christian and he's a jerk. We don't want that. So even at, the, at the, the younger levels, right? Because I've learned that most people, especially in businesses, man, most like bosses and owners and entrepreneurs or whatever that are out there trying to do, man, they'll fall over themselves for anybody that they can rely and depend on, who will show up when they say they're going to show up and not make excuses, who they don't have to worry about stealing stuff or playing goofy games on company time or using company resources, but being honest and above board and, and someone that they go, oh, I know if she's got it, it's going to be okay. That is such a blessing. And those of you that are in those positions of authority, you know what I'm talking about. But you who maybe aren't at this point have a wonderful opportunity to be mission driven by how you live your life. And this is what Paul is trying to say. So what else adds to this idea of being grace-filled, mission-driven optimists? Well, we look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Now this is so important. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You know what I love about that? Is Paul always had in mind where he came from. And he never wants anyone to forget where they were when Jesus found them. And so please, Compass Church, congregation, Christian, never forget where you came from or what you would have become without Jesus. What helps us stay grace-filled is remembering that state. And we were all in that place where we, left to ourselves, would have been completely, justifiably a perfect candidate to spend eternity in hell.
because of our hearts and our attitudes and our rebelliousness and our immorality and our bitterness and our anger and our hatred. And we had to be cured. And so he says, look, we were foolish and all these kinds of things. But look at verse 4. Look at this, verse 4. But! Now we've said this before. We always want to look at the buts, right? At least the buts in the Bible. All right? This is a big but. This is a very big but. And we like big buts. And we cannot lie. Yeah. I'm just telling you, you got to circle that but. When you see a but, there was a guy that came up to me at the end of the first service and he says, you know, I've done all this negotiation stuff. And when we do negotiation, what they teach you is a person will talk, but the minute they say the word but, it erases everything that came before and now you got to listen to what they're saying afterwards. And he's right. So when he gets to the but, you erase all that other stuff that you were, but Look at you would have been, but look at this. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, and here's the big one, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So right there, that verse is huge. Like if you just memorize that, you'd, you'd know more about the essence of Christianity than a lot of preachers, quite frankly. Because you gotta see all the stuff that's in there. Because he says, he saved us not because of our works. People still think, which is so sad, and we have to continue to never stop talking about this. People still think, well, Jesus died on the cross, but you know, you still gotta toe the line. What are you talking about? That is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. You are saved by the mercy of God, not trying to impress daddy, right? Oh, look what I did. Will you love me now? What kind of garbage is that? I'm telling you, you are saved by the mercy of God and by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You know what regeneration means? That means brought back to life. So we've said this many times, but Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came what? To make dead people live. Yeah. And so you brought back to life. We even sing about it in that one song. Oh, you brought me back to life. Do, 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 right? That we sing that song. You should sing that when you, you sing it really loud because you know that's what happened. You didn't come, you didn't get rehabilitated, okay? You got brought back from death. Have you ever been to a funeral and, and, and you're sitting there and it's all boring and there's a casket and then the casket starts shaking? There's a dude in there is like, hey, I was just messing with you. I feel much better now. You know, I just wanted to see who would show up. I, I, or whatever. I came back from the or I came back from the dead. Look at me. I can't. You cannot raise yourself back to life. The, the dead are dead. And so what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying here, is that what Jesus does is he regenerates us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are raised up. Now, that's important because a lot of us, when we recount our spiritual history. We'll say, well, you know what happened was I was living a terrible life and then one day I woke up and I said, you know, what am I doing? I got to get right with God. And so I went to church and then, you know, I, I gave my life, which is a wonderful story, which is a wonderful thing. And from your perspective, it's absolutely 100% true. However, if I could give you a little more of a sophisticated way of saying it is I was dead spiritually. And I'm so grateful because when I was at my worst, is when God reached down and he grabbed me and he pulled me up. And when you see your own conversion like that, again, from your perspective, you turn to God and that's great. 
But what actually happened was, according to the scripture, was God raised you up. And that's important because that keeps you in a constant and steady state of worship. Because you realize you were powerless to save yourself. But the other thing that it does um, is that it becomes the impetus for compassion and a soft heart. Because you realize that what was done for you was something you couldn't have done on your own. And now you see other people in that same situation. And so we should have soft hearts. We should have strong convictions about what is true. But we have to have soft hearts. Especially when it comes to those less fortunate than us who are struggling. So, I told you this story, but it bears repeating because a lot of you weren't there to hear it the first time. But I was getting off the freeway at Litchfield over here on the 10. And in front of me was our head elder, Jim Fisher, the head of our, chairman of our elder board. And you could tell because he has a personalized plate and he has this really cool Jeep. I was like, that's Jim, right? Now, there's a dude who's a homeless guy sitting on, you know, they all hang out by Litchfield and the 10 with their little signs, right? And of course, and I'm, you know, the only reason I'm even, the only hope I have is Jesus because on my own, I'm a rotten guy, right? So in my carnal flesh, you know, I'm looking at this dude, I'm like, man, God, these dudes are like, they're everywhere, these homeless guys. Like, what am I going to do about this, you know? Like, this guy, his shelters aren't very far away. And like, why doesn't he just go to a shelter? Like, like and if, if you just give them stuff, all they're going to do is just keep making things worse and whatever. And I'm like rolling all the stuff in my head. And as I'm thinking that in my head, Jim rolls his window down and leans out and hands this guy a $5 gift card to McDonald's. And, he, and, I, and so I, I, I'm like, whoa, right? And then when I asked him about it later, I said, Jim, you, I saw you. I saw, I saw you. You gave this guy $5. He says, you know, I go out and I buy a bunch of McDonald's gift cards and I just have them in my car and I'll hand them out to these guys. Because, I, because that way they, don't, they can't, because McDonald's doesn't sell alcohol and they don't sell pot, at least not yet. I mean, who knows, right? You know, Ronald McDonald's like, hey, you know, um, let's make some more money. But uh, no, I don't know. But, but the point is, is just, so it's like, so his point, and he's not a home, friend of homeless, you know, they didn't like the idea of homelessness either. He's just like, he says, look, what, where I'm sitting there trying to figure out how this guy ended up this way. Jim's like, I don't care. The guy's hungry. And you know what? That's sad. Go get yourself a burger, man. That's the kind of leadership that we have here. Uh, that, that's, it's the very top. That's the kind of people that we have here. People of compassion and soft hearts at the very top of this church in terms of leadership because we believe the gospel. So we're grace-filled and mission-driven. And then look at what happens. It says, so that being justified by his grace, and then we're justified, they say, justified is just as if I had never sinned. Ah, it's so great. Not 100% accurate, but close enough. It's, just, it's like, just as I'd never sinned. So I become justified. Just as I had never sinned. So you're restored to a relationship with God. And then, so I'm justified by his grace and we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's where we get the optimism piece. Because there is a hope of eternal life that is grounded in the very essence of what we believe. And it's not, so be, when I say an optimist, I don't mean it's some kind of like pie in the sky. You're always just thinking positive. Like think positive thoughts. Like I don't mean to be a jerk. But like when people go like, like on Facebook or whatever, when they're like, oh, sending positive thoughts. I go, what, like, what, what I don't, how do you do that? What do you like, they, they have them on Amazon. Can you gift them, you know, positive thoughts? And I, you know, they, 
Arrive at your door. What, what does that mean? That doesn't do. Like, if you're to send, like pray for somebody, pray that the power of God that's actually real will intervene in a person. Let's send positive. So when we talk about positive thoughts, oh, just think positive. It's not. It's not that. It's deeper than that. It's the fact that your whole life might be characterized by tragedy, and it might. But there is still a glowing ember in your soul. Because there has to be, because you've been justified, and then because of that, you're an heir to an inheritance of eternal life. So you see the video, and there's like this little, you know, ember when we just started the sermon, and it's like that may be what your life is like. It just might be down to a little tiny ember, but then it begins to grow, right? And the the hope and the flame of eternal life continues to grow, all-encompassing in our lives. So here's what happens. No matter what happens, you win in the end. We win in the end, and like you have to know that. And it's, it's not about a mindset as much as it is a trajectory. It's a path. It's a pattern. And it's grounded in this eternal narrative. See, this is the thing. It's like, well, what world am I born into, right? What system am I born into? You're born into a system where the God of the universe sent his son to become one of us, to walk among us, to bear our sin on the cross. But that was on Friday, and then he died. And when he died, he really died. And they took him off the cross, and they put him in a tomb, and then they went home. And then Saturday they woke up, and they said, this is the worst day of our lives because we put all of our stock into this guy who said he was the Messiah. And maybe he is, but I don't know what's going to happen. He's gone. And now I guess that's the way that the world is. The Romans won. The Jewish leaders won. And that's the way that the world is, right? Something good happens and something bad comes and snuffs it out. And that's the narrative of the world. That's the way that it works. And that's what they thought on Saturday. But then Sunday showed up. And Sunday, what happened? He rose from the dead. And it changed everything. Because now, that's not the way the world works. The way the world works is that the God of the universe may may be uh, putting us in positions that are extremely dark and terrible and awful, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the resurrection. The end of the story is new life. The end of the story is there is hope at the very end. And that's the thing. So Christian optimism says you might lose everything and yet all is not lost. That's what you have to internalize, and we have to internalize. So as a Christian, we carry around this certain defiance, you know? Like, we, we do laugh at the giants. We do believe that the odds can be defied. And when we grieve, we don't grieve as people who have no hope. I mean, we may grieve terribly. Because, but we also know that in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear. And see, it's that, that concept that is very different than our secular friends. And very different than pretty much anybody else. That there is just this thing that forges ahead. And it's not, it's not based on wishful thinking. It's actually based on what we believe to be true about the way the world actually is. And that requires a good degree of thinking and reorientation in your mind. Where you got to put the phone down, put the distractions down, and really consider what we're talking about here. Because when it filters into every aspect of our lives, that means we actually believe that, that God can move us ahead and God can move us back. And there is something positive that's going to happen. And so we forge ahead with the belief that God is still there and that he is for us. And so part of that means we're people that don't freak out. And some of us 
if you're going, some of us, we deal, and I know there's issues with anxiety and stuff. I'm not talking about the mental condition of that because that can be a chemical thing in our brain that we need to help deal with medication or whatever else, and you should do that. I'm talking about the kind of person who is so scared of everything in life that they're always going from one thing to the next, chaos to chaos to chaos, freaking out all the time, acting as though God's not even there. But he is there. And so at some point, fear becomes a flat-out sin. We don't, I mean, we don't, we don't think of it that way. We just say, oh, I'm so afraid. But you wouldn't admit your other sins, but you have no problem saying, oh, I'm just really afraid right now. And it's like, well, that's not really a sin. It's a condition. No, no. Fear is actually, it, it really is a sin because how many times are we told not to be afraid? And I'm not trying to come down on you, but what I'm trying to say is if you are experiencing constant and this frenetic kind of unending fear, you need to take stock of that and say, wait a second, why? That actually goes against what I say I believe. And so this, this, there's a reason for us to be optimistic about everything. To be, there's a reason for you to be optimistic about this church. You know, you, if you go, well, you know, how do they know they're going to get a good leader? And how do they know? Because God is in this thing. That's how you know. And you say, I claim the promises of God that he loves his bride. He loves his church. This church doesn't depend on one personality or one voice. It's the body of Christ. And we're going to move forward and be better than we were before. That's the kind of attitude that we're talking about. So Paul knows he's just said a good thing. And so he says in verse 8, he says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Right? So this is, he's really making a point about this. Why? So that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Grace-filled, mission-driven, optimism. See, the belief informs the behavior. He goes on to say these things are excellent and profitable for people. But, now there's another but, but it's a smaller but. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, I am so glad that this is in here because we've been talking about being grace-filled, mission-driven optimists, or GMOs. But if there is one thing among a few, but in this particular case, one thing, it will derail us from our mission of helping people find their way to God. It will be intramural squabbles between so-called Christians or what we might know as friendly fire. So please, congregation, do your very best to bounce mean and argumentative people out of our church. And what kind of people am I talking about? These are the kind of people who love to have online debates with people. You know what I'm saying? They're like, and they're always, they're always looking for what's wrong. And they, they, they carry themselves in an argumentative fashion. They love stirring up controversy on minor points that are not central to the gospel, right? So when it comes to like end times stuff, like stuff about the end times, that's so important. It's as important to them as Jesus dying on the cross is how exactly he's going to return, even when it doesn't say exactly how in the Bible. But to them, it's the most important thing. And so if you don't agree with them, oh, you're a compromiser. Or issues regarding to predestination and free will. Did God choose me or did I choose him? 
They're kind of two sides of the same coin. How dare you say that, you know? And so they will, and they'll make that the central issue and they get really angry and bitter and vicious, right? So these are the kind of people, and they love, they love to get online, they love to talk to you, all those kinds of, and they're argumentative people. They, and you can always tell them, right? Because they're like, they kind of have that face, it's like, like we call lemon suckers, right? Hey, suckers. They look at they're sucking on a lemon and like they're just like mouth breathers, right? Like, hey. <laughs> you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. I'm, I'm just telling you. And like, you know, just like we have a security team here, and we do have a security team here. It's quite a good security team. Don't go messing with us here at Compass Church, because I'm telling you, they, we are not pacifists here. I mean, these guys are packing more heat. I mean, I don't even want to know what they got. And you don't even know who they are, too. They're just walking around and whatever else. But I tell you what, you try to mess with us here, we have another way of helping you find your way to God. I mean, I'm just telling you. We're just, I don't know what to do, but you're not going to come. So we've made it, it's our responsibility to help keep a safe environment here. But in the same way we have a security team, you got to have, we got to have our own, I'm deputizing all of you to be on the lookout for these type of people because they're there and they sow seeds of doubt. They are usually male. And they usually um, are a burden and an embarrassment to their long-suffering wives. They are. You can see it on the countenance of the wife. She's like, oh, there he goes. There he goes again. And they're just exhausted. You know, their shoulders are like this. Because he's like, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and he's downstairs in the basement on the computer at night. And the, the bed is cold, baby. I mean, she's up there with a bottle of wine. She's like, I tried. Yeah. All, all I'm saying is, man, just don't, he says, warn him once, warn him twice, and then say, look, man, Palm Valley is just down the road, you know? No, I'm kidding. I love Palm Valley. We love this. We're, we're good friends. But there's, you know, send him to the Jehovah's Witness Church. I don't know. Um, do something. Just whatever. Just say, just, you will not ha be happy here. Now, why? Do, because again, when there's, how do you know? Is it okay to talk about like different kinds of, you know, um, uh, I mean, can we talk about minor points doctrine? Of course. But you talk about it in the context of, hey, this is not essential, right? This is kind of fun. Uh, how do you think Jesus can come back? I don't know. I mean, maybe he will be before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation. What do you think? We can, we can come together and be one and be unified on our essentials and have disagreements about non-essentials. But the minute someone begins to argue about non-essentials, you get your mind off the mission because the mission is to bring glory to God by how we live our lives. And this is what Paul is trying to say. And that's infinitely more important. Not being some relationally stunted dude that goes around trying to hit people over the head with their minor points of doctrine. So all that to say, you know you're seeing it when you start to feel really uncomfortable and you're like, man, this doesn't have anything to do with our, like, why we're here. So you, you, you know, you may be right but this doesn't have anything to do with why we're here. So you know how you can spot it. And that helps us keep things on the path. Because I will tell you, this church is fantastic. It's not in just an anecdotal thing or a subjective thing. It has been objectively proven by our surveys, by the mood of the people here, by the spirit of what's, what's happening here, by the unity that we've had. It's been objectively reported and, and given back to us in charts and graphs and everything else. Like, whoa, this is really cool. We have a special and beautiful thing here at Compass Church. And I am confident in Mike and in Gabe 
um, who have been on our executive team, that they will, are more than capable to continue moving this thing forward in an interim time while we are figuring out who that next lead pastor is going to be. In addition to them, we have our elders and we have our other staff who are fantastic. There is a clear sense of purpose, a clear sense of mission, good and strong relational um, love that goes on here. And so you have no reason but for to have anything but um, excitement about the future. And that's my challenge to you. Don't use me leaving as an opportunity to disengage. Use it as an opportunity to further engage. Because this is your church. This is your church. It was never really my church anyway. I, I, I was here to do a, diff- to do a certain job. And then, and then when God clearly was calling me to a different area of ministry, that's where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And so this is where we leave it. The goal is that by the time we are done here, there are more people in the kingdom than before we got here. And so we leave this place better than we found it. And the way of doing that is by being a GMO, a grace-filled, mission-driven optimist. And you stare this world in the face and you say, you know what? The only answer is Jesus. And so I'm so excited about the future. I deeply love all of you. And I'm looking forward to hearing about what God is going to do in and through you. Let's pray. Father, we, we have given our lives to you. We have banked everything on your word, on the fact that you are who you say you are and that you have intervened into human history. And we know there's much work yet to be done. And so we ask that this church would be nothing more than a brilliant and beautiful reflection of you. And just as a, as a lovely bride, as a, as a testament to her husband, that we would be a testament to you. And we thank you for redeeming us and for saving us. And I ask that you would guide us and guide this church into the future. And I'm confident that the men and women you've raised up here, sitting here, you have called for your purpose. And we look forward to seeing it all happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.